Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 4. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I can do nothing in my flesh. Well, yeah, I can. I can really mess things up in my flesh. I guess I can. But in Christ, I can do all things. And it's interesting to note. You want to note this here. You want to note this. On one side, Satan is tempting. On the other side, God is testing. That's important to note. The same circumstance, the same situation, Jesus in the wilderness, hungry, fasting, For 40 days and 40 nights, Satan is using that time to tempt. God is using that time to test. You see, God never tempts people. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. This is in the New Living Translation. I love it. And remember, no one who wants to do wrong should ever say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from the lore of our own evil desires. Thus, evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. You see, God was testing Jesus to prove that he was the sinless Lamb of God sent to take away the sin of the world. While Satan, in the same situation and scenario, Satan was tempting Jesus in order to cause him to fall so he could disqualify him as the savior of the world. See, God tests. Satan tempts. That word test means to prove. Now, does God test you to prove to him what you're made of? No, God already knows. God will test you and prove you so that you will see what your heart is like. Satan tempts and seeks to destroy and to tear down God's people. Well, the first of the three temptations. Notice, number one, the father's provision. We find that in verse two through four. Notice in in verse two, Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days. Now, listen, I found this interesting to, to, to discover. And I don't know if you knew, but interesting. If you go on a prolonged fast, you will lose your hunger pains after a few weeks and they will go away for quite a bit of time. But when those hunger pains come back, you are at the point of starvation and on the verge of death. Interesting. So Jesus have been denying the physical to concentrate on the spiritual for 40 days. He's weak. And at the point of starvation, 
He is led into the barren, forsaken desert where the heat can reach 120 degrees. And it's at that very point, at the most vulnerable moment, a weak moment, that Satan comes to tempt. Isn't that, talking about the tactics of the devil, at your weakest moment is when Satan will come to tempt you. At your weakest, most vulnerable point. And he shows up to Jesus in the wilderness. And Jesus is starving to death at that point. And he says, he says, Jesus, hey, why don't you turn that stone of, into a sourdough hot piping loaf of bread with butter? Do it. He says to Jesus, he says, if you are the son of God, then turn that stone into bread. Now, in the Greek grammar, this literally means not if you're the son of God, but since you are the son of God. You see, Satan isn't doubting that Jesus is the son of God. Satan knows he's the son of God. And he says, since you are the son of God, then turn this stone into bread. In this statement, Satan is questioning the love of God and the father's provision. Satan is saying, since you're the son of God, why doesn't the father feed you? Your stomach is churning and hurting and hungry. I mean, all of this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased stuff. Well, if God loves you and God is well pleased with you, then how come you haven't eaten in six weeks? Satan is saying, since you are the son of God, why does God put you through this? You see, Satan is questioning the father's provision and tempting Jesus to do something about it. Use your divine power and do something about it. Satan will tempt us in the same way. As a matter of fact, it's unfortunate, but I hear a lot of this kind of tempting going on from the pulpits of America today. A lot of this kind of tempting. Well, since you're a child of God, then why are those bills stacking up? Since you're a child of God, then why aren't you healed? Why are you sick? Why are you depressed? Why are you broke, busted, and disgusted? If you're a child of God, then you should claim your healing. If you're a child of God, then God should fill in the blank for you. The same kind of message that Satan was sending to Jesus is the same message that we are hearing in the pulpits in the church today. Nothing new under the sun. And God says, no, no. And don't listen to Satan. Don't listen to his tempting. Yeah, you might, the bills might be stacking up. Yeah, you might need healing. Yeah, there might be problems in your life, in your family, in your marriage. But you need to stand on the word of God, just like Jesus did. Amen, saints? You need to stand on God's word and say, you know what? Hey, I, I am a child of God. And, and, and as a child of God, God tells me to cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. As a child of God, God says that, that, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It doesn't say no weapon will be formed against you. It says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. As a child of God, I know that he has never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. God will always take care of me. Don't let Satan tempt you to to, to get yourself to the place where you begin to tempt God. 
But notice, I want you to notice how Jesus dealt with the temptation. He quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3. Man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus is saying there is something more important than bread. That's every word that comes out of God's mouth is more important than bread. Walking in fellowship with the Father is more important than bread. You see, the way to defeat Satan's attacks is by knowing and quoting and obeying the word of God. Did you catch that? It was the word of God that Jesus used to fight off the temptation. It was the word, just the word. Now, as a pastor, I can tell you that people come to the church, come into the church, thinking and behaving unbiblically because they do not know the word of God. And that's why we teach the Bible here at Calvary. That's why when you come in, you should bring your Bible. If we handed you a Bible today, then feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift. We need to have our word with us, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I teach my kids that all the time. We'll get in the car and I'll say, where's your Bible? Well, I left it up in my room. Go get it. We'll wait. You need to have your word. We need to have the word because it's the word of God that gives us life. It's the word of God that sustains us. And I really feel that the problem in the church today is not a lack of worship. It's not because there's plenty of worship going on. It's not a lack of programs because there's plenty of programs going on. The problem in the church today is ignorance to the word of God. And people come in for marriage counseling. And they say, you know, Pastor, uh, we want you to marry us. And I'll say, great, great. You know, one of my first questions is, and if I've married you, if you're here and I, and I have performed your wedding, you know one of my first questions is this. Are they a Christian? Well, um, um, you know we're in trouble when they go, um, um, okay. You know, it's going downhill from here, okay. Um, um, well, um, I'm, 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 well, you know, Pastor, I, I, you know, we like the same stuff. I'm like... So, you like the same stuff? Who cares whether you like it? Are they a Christian? Well, if I get them a church pastor, you can save them. I said, no, I can't. No one can save The Lord can only save them. Well, pastor, you know, we prayed about it. And, and you know, we got the green light from God. No, you're colorblind. The light is red, and you're about to run it, and you're about to crash. I tell you what, if you want to get a prayer life, marry a non-believer. Oh, yeah, marry a non-believer. You will get a prayer life really quick. I can always tell the people who are married to non-believers because they float around in the church glowing. There's a halo and an anointing over their life. It's, ooh, they float by, hi, Pastor Ed. Oh, you must be married to a non-believer. Well, how you know? Well, look at the glow. Because when you marry a non-believer, you will get a prayer life. Don't marry a non-believer. The Bible is very clear. Second Corinthians chapter six. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. We all know that. Obey the word of God. And I've got to say, ignorance of the word of God is one of the greatest problems in the church today. The second temptation. It questions the father's protection. Satan takes Jesus up to the holy city. 
They sit on the pinnacle and Satan says, since you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. Satan is saying, since you claim to live by the word of God, since the father loves you so much and will provide for you, then jump off the temple. The angels will come and provide you with protection and prove that you're the Messiah and show how much the father loves you. Now, this is very interesting. You guys, you've got to see this. Very interesting. Satan quotes the word. He's quoting Psalm 91, but I want you to know something. He's misquoting the word and he's leaving out a phrase. Psalm 91 verse 11 and 12 says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Satan left that out. In their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You see, the problem is God will keep you, or the promise is that God will keep you in all your ways. So Satan's quoting the scriptures, but he's misquoting the scriptures because he's leaving a part of it out. And it's important for us, if we're going to quote the scriptures, then let's quote the entire text. Let's quote the full scriptures. Otherwise, if you quote just pieces of the scripture, that's anemic. That's not powerful. God's word is quick, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. But, but we got to be careful as believers. I think you would agree that, that, that we've got to quote the full counsel of the word of God and quote the scriptures as they are written. And don't take them out of context. If you take scripture out of context, you can prove anything you want in the Bible. You can prove anything if you take it out of context. There's a scripture in Matthew chapter 27. It says that Judas went out and hung himself. And there's another verse that says, go do ye likewise. So so what's that mean? We should all go out and commit suicide? Of course not. But you can take scripture and twist it if you take it out of context and make it mean and say anything you want. On Saturday morning, you get a knock on the door and your bacon's on, your breakfast's on. Hi, I'm from the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. And they start quoting you some scriptures. Hi, I'm from the Watchtower Society and I would like to know would you like to go to paradise? It's like, duh, what kind of question is that? Who doesn't want to go to paradise? No, no, you should say something like this. Would you like to go to paradise? No, 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 I don't want to go to paradise. Matter of fact, you know what? I was really hoping to go to hell. I want to go to hell and all my flesh and my sinews just burn off of my body. I'm going to burn in hell forever and ever and ever. Nah, I don't want to go to hell. I'm going to go to paradise. Nah, nah, not for me. They'd be like, what do I say now? Well, I'll be right back. I've got to go get an elder. You know. <laughs> you got to be careful, people showing up at your front door, misquoting and taking the scriptures out of context. So very, very important. Again, Jesus quotes the scriptures. This time, Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You guys, don't tempt God. Well, you know, I'll marry this non-believer and God's going to work it all out. I'm sure he's going to get saved. If I get him in Calvary Chapel enough, eventually he'll get saved. I mean, God's got to save him if he keeps going to church. Don't tempt God. 
you know, well, I'll just go out there and lay. You know, the Bible says that he's going to keep us in all of our ways, so I'll just go out there and lay in the traffic on I-40. It's like, yeah, he will keep you in heaven. Don't tempt him. I was just reading yesterday about people snake handling in the Ozarks. And matter of fact, we saw a 2020 report. I don't know if you saw that one. But people handling states, because the Bible says that they'll take up serpents and they'll be bitten, but they shall not die. And so this is the motto for their church. And so they take snakes in the service. And it's like, why in the world would anybody do that? But they take these snakes and they let the snakes bite them. And, you know, if they die, then I guess they weren't really Christians or something. And it's like, don't test God. Don't tempt nor test the Lord. Jesus says the Father will provide for me and the Father will protect me and I will trust him and not tempt him. And then the third and the final promise, the third and final temptation, the Father's promise in verses 8 through 11. The Father had promised all things to his Son. We know that Jesus is the heir of all things. And so Satan takes Jesus to a high mountain and offers him the kingdoms of the world. But as the song says, ain't no mountain high enough. I'm just listening to that song. It's a cool song. Ain't no mountain high enough because there is no mountain that you can stand on and see all the kingdoms of the world. And so Satan would have taken Jesus to a high mountain in a vision where Jesus could see the majesty of Egypt and the power of Rome, and the splendor of Greece, and the beauty of Jerusalem, all in a single moment. And he said, if you will bow down, I will give you these things. And so here we see Jesus, who the Bible is clear, created all things that we see, and all things exist for his good pleasure. And here Satan is offering Jesus that which he created. How? Why? Well, we know back in the garden, you remember the story, Adam and Eve forfeited dominion of the planet to Satan when they sinned and disobeyed God. And it was from that moment forward to this present day that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Satan controls this world today. That's why we see so much chaos and so much Problems and pain and suffering in the world today is because Satan is the prince of this world. He owns this world right now. But the Bible says, here's something for you to get excited about. Again, the Bible says that someday Jesus is going to take back that title deed to this planet. He's going to take it back and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness upon this planet someday. Should I add? Could I add? Soon, someday soon, Jesus is going to come. Take heart. But right now, Satan rules and reigns over this earth. He's the ruler of this world. But what happens here? What is happening here? Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut from the cross. Satan is saying, Jesus, you don't need to go through the suffering and the sacrifice. No more ridicule, no more rejection by the Jews, no death on the cross. Take a shortcut. Bow down and worship me, and you can have that promise of the Father now. You can inherit the kingdom now. Just say yes to the devil in the desert. Just take the shortcut. 
And I'm glad Jesus, we, again, we know the end of the story. He didn't take a shortcut. He went to Calvary's cross. He suffered, he hung, he bled, he died on Calvary's cross. He didn't take the shortcut, and I'm glad he didn't. Because if he did, who would have paid for my sins? Who would have paid for your sins? Nobody. Not your bestest friend. Not your father. Not anybody. No one would suffer what Jesus suffered for a Christ-rejecting sinful world. He suffered all these things, not because people loved him, because people were nice to him, People were not nice to him, and people didn't love him, and they mocked him, and they spit on him, and yet he went to Calvary's tree in spite of all of that. He didn't take the shortcut. Well, now Satan has crossed the line, and Jesus said, that's enough. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy six thirteen. This phrase, it is written, could be translated to say it has been written and will remain written always. Apparently, Satan felt the power and the sting of God's word because in verse 11, it tells us that after the devil left him, the angels came and ministered to him. Now, how they ministered to him, we don't know. I'm sure they bought him some water and some angel food cake. We don't know. But they came and they ministered to him. One of the other gospels says that Satan left for a season. And he came back. When? When Peter tried to tell him, Lord, you don't need to go to the cross. You look at the gospels. We don't have time for it. But you look at the gospels. Satan consistently over and over and over again tried to hinder Jesus from going to the cross. Over and over and over and over again. Don't go to the cross. Lord, you can't leave, Peter said. Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan was always trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross because he knew at the cross was the Christian's victory and his defeat. It was at the cross where someone once said Satan was declawed, defanged, and defeated. And Satan knew that. And that's why he tried to keep him from going to the cross. But Jesus willingly went to the cross. And the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despite the shame. What joy? The joy that knowing that when he rose again and when he ascended into heaven, now every single person who puts their faith and their trust in him will also be in heaven with him. And that brought him joy. Not the joy of suffering, but the joy of your salvation, the joy of my salvation. For me, January 23rd, 1982, the day I gave my life to Christ brought him joy. And the day you gave your life to Christ brought him joy. He endured the cross, despised the shame. Satan knew he was defeated. And he tried to keep him from going to the cross. Listen, when Satan's tempting you, don't fight him in your flesh. Don't fight him in your flesh. You know what you do? You take this word of God and you begin to open up these pages between this leather book. And you say, I need to know the word so that when Satan comes to me, I quote the word. First of all, I obey the word. I obey the word. I submit to the word. And when I quote the word, then it is powerful. 
For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You ever see a swordsman using a sword? It's poetry and motion when they know what they're doing. But you ever see a swordsman using a sword and he doesn't know what he's doing? Get out of the way. He will cut your head off because he doesn't know what he's doing. The power of the word of God, having God's word in your hand and you know how to use it and you know how to apply it to your life. You become an effective, usable tool in the kingdom of God. Not a dead fish flowing downstream, but a mighty warrior used by God to take the word of God to people who really need to hear the word. Saints, I don't know a lot. I don't claim to know a lot, but one thing I do know, without this word, I'm lost. Without this word, it's hopeless. Without this word, there's no hope for you and no hope for me. We need the word so desperately. That I do know, and I pray you know it. I pray you know it, and I pray that you would go from here saying, God, I haven't been in your word. But I'm going to start today. God, I'm going to begin to know you. I'm going to begin to serve you and submit to your word and get victory. Walk as a victorious Christian. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.